If you'll take your Bibles this morning and turn to the passage which I read aloud, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, page 955 if you need it. Yep, kids, you can be dismissed if you would like. And I want to say thank you as you're turning your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians 7, I want to say thank you to the ladies uh, and Doc um, who... um, who, he's the muscle, so, uh, who helped decorate. I absolutely love the trees behind me. I think they're beautiful. Um, and then the two out in the lobbies there, they do such an amazing job. And I just want to say thank you uh, to all of those ladies. If I start naming you, I would forget somebody, but uh, thank you so much. It looks, it looks great. I love the Christmas season. That's just everything looks so beautiful. And uh, so thank you for that. Thank you for making, having a part in that. One other announcement uh, before we get into the text, and I uh, um, neglected to put it in the bulletin, but we're going to have a Christmas Eve service this year. And so we haven't done that um, in, a, in a good long while, I think, at least. Uh, but so the 24th, Christmas Eve, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service here together. And um, we are, uh, it's going to be exciting. I'll let you know more about that in the next week or so, but uh, just really encourage you if you're able to come. I also understand that sometimes Christmas Eve is a family get-together time as well, and that's totally understandable, and if you can't make it, I get it. Uh, we're going to try to make it uh, perhaps around 6 o'clock or so, so it's early enough. Um, let's see, Christmas, Christmas Eve is on a what? Is that a Friday this year? A Thursday. So perhaps some would have to work. Many would get off at least half a day. So you would be able to get probably a meal before you're able to come, and so not. So, so you'd have the five o'clock typical uh, dinner time hour, and then about six we would think about coming and meeting together here for candlelight for communion, and then for candlelight uh, communion as well. Um, we'll we'll use those candles that we have, and then maybe a couple other exciting things happening uh, during that service as well. So uh, just invite you to come if you're able to make it, and uh, try to do it early enough so that way you could still be able to do family stuff afterward. So that's the 24th. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's it for announcements there. The Christmas things I wanted to mention to you. So now to our topic for today. Now, we're not going to deal with all of the verses that I read this morning, but I wanted to read them all together so that way you could start thinking through the text here. Um, it's a large passage, and there's multiple... Um, topics that are dealt with in that passage um, in chapter 7 as a whole. Uh, marriage is dealt with, um, divorce and remarriage, remarriage is dealt with, singleness is dealt with, and so it's just too much to handle on one setting. And so what I want to do is I want to deal with the very first subject that we come to uh, in starting in verse number 6, and so we'll, we'll not address all of the verses. Um, some of you are going to have those, just kind of like a cliffhanger, right? Some of you laughed at some of the verses that we read, uh, and we'll deal with some of that, but it won't be until January. In this month, starting next week, I'm going to um, bring uh, Advent messages as I do every year. I try to every year deal with, this is, the time of the, this is one of the times of the year where if visitors are going to come, then it most likely would be during this Christmas time. And most likely would be the time when you invited people to come that they could come because it's Christmas. And so I deal with topical issues um, like love, um, like light or peace um, or something like that. So that way um, we all are encouraged and we know that um, the greatest light is the light of the world, which is Jesus, and where we should find our value and worth, as Ryan just challenged us again. Um, But also people outside that are not believers need to understand that as well. And so bring your friends, bring your family that need Jesus. And so starting next week, we'll do topical messages uh, during the Christmas. And then January 3rd, I think, is the first Sunday of the year. Um, That is our target date for um, uh, having uh, the worship team that we have been preparing for, as you've seen the uh, the different good guitar plugins and the the sing the other uh, in, voice instrumentalists as well that'll be up here, um, and so that's we're going to target that date and most likely on the third, 
Um, I have a message I like to preach every year, the first, usually the first or second Sunday of the year, um, about our mission. And then shortly after that, we'll deal with the rest of the verses in here, like marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and things like that. So uh, we'll come back to some of this. All of that to say, we'll come back to some of this. So that's just the plan going forward um, through this Christmas, ho- Christmas season, not just holiday, but Christmas season, um, and where we will be. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Have you ever, uh, do you ever struggle with questions about what to do in life? Ever, you ever have questions where you're just like, I'm, not, I'm just not sure what to do? And I, I don't know, and, and not just, and I'm not talking just spiritually, like, you know, depending on your age, where do you go to school? Um, you know, which car do you buy when you need a new car? Um, you read all the reviews and you, all your friends and all that sort of thing, and you can't afford the Ferrari, so what do you buy? right? Um, Believers in the local church, and then we have spiritual questions too as well, and the believers in the local church at Corinth were struggling with some questions. And so they write a letter to Paul with these questions, and that's what started in chapter 7. Now, we don't have a copy of their questions or the letter that they wrote to Paul. They wrote a letter that was delivered to Paul, Paul reads it, and now he's replying to those questions. But while we don't have the exact questions, we can read Paul's response to the questions that, that they've posed to him in this letter, and we can understand the general issue. Now, I want to mention that I think it's good, though, that we don't have a copy of the church's specific questions or the specific situations that the church was going through here. And the reason why I think it's good um, is obviously it's good because God didn't preserve it for us, and so he didn't think we needed it. And the reason why I don't think uh, he didn't preserve it for us is that we would only allow ourselves to be informed on that specific issue. In other words, this this is what I mean. We would say, we would would use our feelings to say something like, well, that exact situation that Paul wrote about here is not my exact situation, so therefore God didn't really say anything about it, so therefore I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Because we're just like that, aren't we? You know, we don't like guide, you know, we don't like guardrails. We don't like speed limit signs on a road. We just, we don't like stuff. We don't like people telling us what to do or not to do. And so I'm really thankful that what we have here in this text is we don't have the questions, but we have the answers. And those answers can be, as God intended, if you remember in 2 Timothy, that God gave us the scriptures for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction. That word instruction is really is the same word as the word child training. To train us as his children. Where we can take these principles and these truths and we can apply them across many areas of our life. This scripture that we have should be the foundation of our faith and our practice. The scriptures help us, chapter 2 and verse 16, to have the mind of Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So currently, we have a question that they pose or that he responds to. And that question came from the church as regard to the marriage relationship originally. Remember that? We spent the last two weeks on that. Once again, the church had been influenced by the world's culture. There were two basic views of sexuality as related to marriage. The first was the body had an appetite for intimacy And since the soul was more important than the body, what you do with the body doesn't really matter. That was one view. So just feed the body's appetite for intimacy in any way and with anyone. Now, we know that God, to that, God said, no, I have not only redeemed your soul, I've redeemed your body. So use use the body that I gave for you in chapter 6 and verse 20, quote, glorify God in our body. It does matter what we do with our bodies. We looked at application that take care of our bodies. Our bodies should take the word, the gospel to people, to the vehicle of our mouth. Our feet should travel to places where we should be able to, where we can take the gospel, etc. We can glorify God through the use of our bodies. The second basic view was an overreaction to that first view. Believers saw the sinful things that uh, things happen that were. Uh, uh, that came along uh, with the belief that sex is just an appetite, or that intimacy is just an appetite, and they said, 
They said, okay, hey, look, we, we don't want anything then, therefore, to do with intimacy. I mean, look at those believers in the church. They're just, they're just doing whatever they want to do with whomever they want to do whenever, you know, and that's just not right. And so they overreacted. Remember last week's visual, that pendulum? Like we're, we have a tendency to do as humans, we overreact. And so the pendulum swings this way, right? And then overreact, and then it swings all the way this way. And not that the truth is always in the middle. The middle is not always the right place to be necessarily. But here, that, according to that visual, we want to be not either overreaction. And so they overreacted to this side saying, oh, you can do whatever you want. And they said, okay, you know what? We want nothing to do with intimacy then. It's basically bad. Well, that's not what God intended. So you have the appetite folks and the ascetic folks, both of which are wrong. Because intimacy was God's design. A design that is good and right and fulfilling when followed as God intended. It's a gift to us. So enjoy the gift, he said. Well... This Greco-Roman culture had another general view regarding relationships. There was the marriage relationship, but also there is the lack of a marriage relationship, that is singleness. Read with me chapter 7, verse 6 through verse 8 again. And this sets up our teaching for today. today. Verse 6 says, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Okay? Paul indicates in verse 8 that he is single. In other words, that he's not currently married. Now, some of you... Bible students, all of you Bible students, I'm sure, know that um, there are some who thought, who believe that Paul was married, and that could very well be the case. We, we can't dogmatically say for sure. And the reason we, that some believe he used to be married was that he was a very devout Pharisee. Remember before he came to Christ? He was very devout. One of, so there was different there were different groups, I guess would be a good word, groups within the Pharisees. And one of those um, was, was a collective group of Pharisees, and they called them the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin would be like a ruling body of the Pharisees. So you had your Pharisees, then you would have those that would be elevated to the Sanhedrin level, and they were like the leader among the leaders, kind of, of the Pharisees. Well, there was a general rule that um, if you were part of the Sanhedrin, then you had to be married. And so there's a belief, a thinking that most likely Paul was because of his status as one of the most elite, trained under the most elite, and being one of the most elite Pharisees before his conversion, that most likely he was part of the Sanhedrin and therefore he was married. That could be the case. We don't know for sure, but I do want to say that it is gracious, God is gracious to us to use Paul to record on the issues of marriage and singleness, both of which he most likely experienced. And so God here is very gracious to us as Paul writes on things that he knows well about. And in this text, Paul addresses some question put to him from the church dealing with singleness. So that's what we're going to deal with this morning. But first, before we get into the outline that I have for us, there is some language that is really confusing in this passage. I think it's like six times Paul says, um, we're not going to get to these, these specific ones, but remember as I read it, he said, I say this, not I, but the Lord. And then one time he says, well, the Lord says it, not I. And so we read that and we th- we're like, well, what it, what's going on here? You know, what's the deal? What's, wh- what are you trying to say? And we have one of those six things right here at the very beginning of verse six. It says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. It, when you read that, you think, all right, Paul, wh- what do you mean by that, right? It can be kind of confusing. It's just kind of off. It almost comes across like Paul adds something that, wasn't, that God didn't intend to be there. Almost, it makes us kind of sit uneasy when we read that. And it leads us to maybe even want to dismiss what he writes here as his own opinion and not the scripture. And, and so therefore, I mean, if that's included in this, how much else is, is 
How much else do we have in this Bible that's opinion and what can we trust it? So it makes us feel really uneasy or it could make us feel really uneasy when we read something like, now I say is a concession, not a command. <laughs> because the Bible is supposed to be full of right propositional truths that instruct us and teach us and lead us back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it's for sure here is a weird thing to say, and that's the issue. He says something that we view as weird or difficult to understand because he said it about 2,000 years ago in a different language. When we look at these specifically two words in this verse, the first word, and I think the word that really throws us off is this word concession, right? I mean, I say this as a concession. The word there is a Greek word, and it can be defined like this specifically, quote, permission to do something. So we could read the verse, and, and some think that this isn't the best English translation because of the connotation that the word concession has today. But, but we could, if they were to translate it, they would say, now as a permission to do something, or as a thinking, uh, thinking not in the sense of concession as throw your hands up and, oh, this is not really what God has to say, but God gives permission to do some, something. So if we understand this together with the word command, here's essentially what Paul is saying and what the church would have understood when this, this response was read aloud in the church. Quote, I write what I write to you, church in Corinth, by permission. And we all know who that permission was from, right? I write what I write to you by permission, and it isn't a commandment that I say, I wish you were single like me. So he's saying, look, I wish you were single, but that's not a commandment. I'm writing this by permission of the Holy Spirit, but I wish you were single like I am single. And we're going to get to reasons why he would say that uh, at point number three here in just a moment. And so we know it, but we know he can't command it. How do we know he can't command them to be single? Because verse seven says this, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. In context, and I argued this last week, that, the, that there is the gift of singleness and there is the gift of marriage. That's what he's addressing in context. Usually when we think of gifts, we think about things like healing. We think about speaking in tongues. We think about wisdom or different gifts like that that we typically, chapter 12, will deal with. Or Romans has a passage there that, that lists them. You know, different places that lift, get, list gifts. But Paul is saying that there is the gift of marriage, but today's topic is, as the title, the gift of singleness. Now, to the question of singleness that the church puts to him, we need to understand how singleness, first of all, was viewed in their culture. The cultural view of singleness. As I mentioned last week, our culture today is much more individualistic than this culture in which he writes. We, generally speaking, don't really quite care what other people think about us, do we? Not only that, but we think that we don't really need others to make it. Like, we can just do life on our own. I don't need you. You don't need me. We're all, we're just a very individualistic society. Well, the general culture, cultural view in Corinth was quite the opposite. And they believed that singleness wasn't good. As a matter of fact, they frowned upon it. One historical, uh, here, here's part of history. Listen to this quote. The Roman culture expected all adults to marry. Roman law penalized men ages 25 to 60 and women ages 20 to 50 if they did not marry. One of the things I read, I think that it was like a 2,000 whatever, it would have been equivalent today to like $2,000 fine if you weren't married, including those who were divorced, including those who were widowed. Not only was it against the law, it was also against the law in the court of public opinion. You needed to be married and have children or you were nothing. If you weren't married, you had no future. If you weren't married, you had no security. Because in this culture, honor, success, and achievement came through family lines. <coughs> Essentially, singleness was seen as illegitimate. And so, as you can see, there were some strong cultural influences for one to get married. 
And yet, this was not God's view of singleness. Number two, what was God's view? You know what God calls singleness? He calls it a gift, back to verse number seven. In context, marriage and singleness are both gifts. The word here used for gift, I want, to, I want you to see this with your own eyes, because some of you might be like, yeah, I don't know if you really know what you're talking about. I mean, is singleness really a gift? Okay, great question. The word that's used for gift here in verse number seven is the original, listen to this, original Greek word, and we would say it this way, it's the word charisma. Now, I want you to start to let that sink in just a little bit. Is the word charisma. The reason I bring this up is because we need to understand what God means by gift. This word charisma, this Greek word, is used about 17 times in the New Testament. One of those times is in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Very familiar verse for, for many of us, right? For the wages of sin is what? Death. But then that wonderful word, but the, and what's the next word? Gift. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That word gift there is the same word in chapter 7 as the word charisma. As believers, when we hear the word gift in chapter 6 and verse 23, we all believe and understand that the gift is our justification and our redemption through Jesus, right? I mean, we look at that and we say, yeah, that is a gift. That is like Christmas time. That's a present. Because we don't deserve it, and that's what a gift is. It's, it's, a, it's a giving of something. If we earn it, it's not a gift. It's just something that was given to us. And we would all say, yeah, our salvation really is a gift. In chapter 6 and verse 23, it's the same word as chapter 7 and verse 7. Now, I said it was used about 17 times in the New Testament. Back to our 1 Corinthians chapter 7, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, um, five of those times, five of those 17 are used in chapter number 12, which we'll get to probably in March. In chapter number 12, if you were to turn there, you would quickly notice that, and some of you as you're turning there, above chapter 12 in our Bibles, you'll see sometimes they put headers up there. And the header of chapter 12 is what? Spiritual gifts. Now, when we think of spiritual gifts, what do we think? We think of presents, Christmas time presents, don't we? We think of the gift of healing. We think of the gift of tongues. We think of the gift of, we, we consider those gifts. Chapter 12 and verse 4 says there are a variety of these gifts, but the same spirit. And specifically in verse number 9, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts, charisma is the word, of healing by one spirit. Paul writes about the gifts given and enabled by the spirit. Gifts like wisdom, working of miracles, healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues. Here's the point. The same word used to describe things we traditionally think of as presents, gifts, God uses in chapter 7 to describe singleness as well. The gift, there is a gift, a present called singleness from God. What does this mean? This means, versus the culture back then in which he wrote, and really versus our cult, against our culture today, that means God doesn't view singleness negatively. He doesn't, he doesn't view, matter of fact, God views a single person on the same level as everybody else. God doesn't view marriage as better. God doesn't view a single person as a lesser person. God intentionally gives to some the wonderful gift of singleness. This also means that those who are married don't get to look down on those who are single, where we all oh, bless their heart. Married people don't get to view people, single people with the eye of pity, as if a single person can't understand or really live life to the fullest because they're not married. You laughed at some of the passages that I read in here when I got to the point where it says if you're married, there's anxieties in life. And you laughed because if you're married, you know there are difficulties that come with marriage. For some, God gives the gift of singleness. They don't have those same anxieties. Rather, we will see shortly 
here, as I said in point number three, there are very good reasons for someone to remain single. And so singleness is a gracious gift from God. And not only is it a gift from God, but what does God call that gift? In verse number eight, he calls it good. Singleness is a good thing for those that he wants to be single. Now, real quickly, verse nine ties together the previous teaching that we, the last two messages, saying that if you don't have the gift of singleness and you have a strong appetite for intimacy, it's better for you to pursue marriage than to pursue sexual immorality. Okay? But for the single person, God calls your singleness or maybe your son or your daughter or your grandchild's or Diana Boss's or Jennifer Pearson's Singleness, good. That word good means praiseworthy. For those that are single, it's a praiseworthy thing to be single. Let me give you an example. In Luke chapter 2, we read about the story of Anna. Luke chapter 2, which probably many of you read Christmas morning, right, or Christmas Eve, the story of the birth of Jesus and such. Well, tucked in that story is the story about Anna that we kind of really overlook often. Listen to Luke 2, 36 through 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at the very hour she began to give thanks the very hour about the birth of Jesus that the previous verses talked about. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to whom all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna was married for seven years. But God gifted her with singleness for the next many years until she was 84. And maybe years after that. God's gift to her and her singleness was to give her to the ministry of prayer and to evangelism. Verse 38 says that she gave thanks to God for the birth of Jesus that just occurred. And then what did she do? She spoke of Jesus to those that were were waiting for the Messiah. Don't you think that's praiseworthy? Absolutely. If she had still been married, think of the laughing at the text, all the anxieties, she would not have been or had the same life that we read about here. But God chose to work in her and through her, that is, gift her the gift of singleness from that point forward, and it was a good thing. Now, we'll come back to these verses after Christmas, like I said, in verses 10 through verse 16, that address the issue of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But then in verses 17 through verse 24, Paul uses a variety of images or illustrations to demonstrate that those who are married should stay married, and those who are single should stay, stay single. He says in there, and we read about those, and we'll come back to those as well, but he said if you're, if you're circumcised, stay that way. If you're not, don't seek it. If you're uh, a servant, stay a servant. Don't seek to be free. Unless you can, seek to be free. And so he uses all of these different things, and the whole point is found in verse three times, actually. He says at the beginning, in the middle, and the end. And at verse 24, he says this, so brothers, in whatever condition each has been called, let him remain with God. There let him remain with God. In other words, remain as you are. Sometimes we think the grass is greener on the other side, don't we? Sometimes relationships are hard. Sometimes I remember there were times, and you can ask Deanna this as well, both of us wondered what in the world we got ourselves into. You know, who is this person? So the grass always look, you know, sometimes look greener on the other side. The lack of a relationship sometimes is hard. And we think, well, if we just have a relationship, then every, every answer, I'll have all the answers to life. And that's not the truth either. We are to be, hold fast to the gift that we have been given. And that's what verses 17 through verse 24 talk about regarding the gift of either marriage or singleness. But thirdly, Paul returns to the topic of singleness in verse 25. And verse 25 through verse 38. And here we address those things that I mentioned, wisdom. Wisdom and how it relates to singleness. 
as we go through this, you'll see why God would gift some singleness and why there is wisdom in being single. Once again, here in verse 25, we come across one of those verses that makes us wonder if it's God's word that we're reading. Remember I told you there are like six times this happens? Well, here it goes again in verse 25. Just like verse 6. And Paul says this in verse 25. I have no command from the Lord. Oh, great, Paul. Thanks a lot. But what does he mean? Why does he say this? We need to know this. Can we, do we have trustworthy Bibles or not? And the reason that he says, I have no command from the Lord, is he's saying that Jesus didn't address this issue from his own voice when he taught on relationships, specifically chapter, in, in chapter 7 here, verse 10 through verse 24, he's dealing with marriage, divorce, remarriage, and some a little bit of singleness, but mostly marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Did Jesus ever address that subject? Yes, very clearly in Matthew chapter 5 and then I think Matthew chapter 19. So what Paul is saying here in chapter 7 and verse 25 is, he says, I have no command from the Lord. He's saying that Jesus didn't address the issue from his own voice when he taught on relationships in, Matthew, in the book of Matthew. So Paul doesn't have a recorded command from which he says, you must do this. He's dealing with this not new topic, because singleness has not been a new thing for them, but it's the first time it's been recorded and, and scripturated for us here. So he's dealing with, we would say, a new topic. So it's not a command from the Lord where he taught before. This is what the Lord has revealed to him, and now he's giving this out. He points out things where the believer is to exercise wisdom to make a judgment for him or herself, is what he's saying here. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Now, notice with me verse 26. This sets up the understanding for what I'm going to talk about here in the next few moments. He says, according to, the, or in view of the present distress. We need to understand what that means to understand the context of here. Historically, this refers to the grain famine in A.D. 51 that caused a food shortage that affected Corinth. And Corinth at this time, we had approximately 100,000 citizens. So really big, you know, a big place. Not as big as Columbus or greater Columbus, but really big place. 100,000 people. And so let's read together verse 26 through verse 28, and then we'll understand it better. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? By the way, when you read are you bound to a wife, don't think negatively. He's talking about covenant. Are you covenanted to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Then don't seek a wife. But, and here's why he can't say it's a command, you know, because he, he, Paul doesn't know which gift people have. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman, betrothed meaning just think uh, engaged, if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Now, when he says worldly troubles, think back to the word distress, okay? Here's the point. Here's the wisdom that he's trying to get them, these believers in this church, believers today, to think through. You or each person must evaluate your situation. The counsel that we receive is that in some situations, it is better to remain single if you're single. If you're married, then you can't seek to be free. You're covenanted. You can't seek to be from the marriage, so remain, so remain married. If you're single and you get married, that's not necessarily wrong either. All right? So let's think through this, just kind of off the cuff, kind of think through this. Let's think through this in light of the famine distress that they were facing. If one was single during this time, who did they have to worry about feeding? Just themselves. That's pretty easy. I remember when I was going through uh, uh, seminary, uh, one of my best friends, Ryan, uh, not this Ryan, but another Ryan, uh, Ryan, uh, we would sell, Ryan and I would go and we would sell these coupon books. They were, there were coupon books for restaurants in, in, uh, in, in that area. And so there was one restaurant that we absolutely, absolutely loved. It was a Mexican restaurant. And on Thursday nights, they would have a mariachi band. And so we would really want to go th that night, listen to the little mariachi, you know, the mariachi band, and, you know, uh, eat our Speedy Gonzalez meal. This is what we always got. 
So each one of those coupon books that we had, we sold them for 12, and it was 50% profit. So we would get six bucks. So we would stand out in the parking lot. So it was the, the uh, Mexican restaurant here, and then it was this huge parking lot that shared with Kmart. You remember what a Kmart was, right? And so we would stand, we would stand and we would each take just two books. He'd have a trunk full of them, and we would both grab two uh, the two books, and we would go, and then we would just walk around, and we'd say, hey, we got these coupon books, and we would easily, like within 15 minutes, we would sell, each sell two coupon books. I'd give, so it was 24 bucks a piece, I'd give 12 to Ryan, because he, he had to pay the overhead, and I'd keep the 12, and he'd have the 12, and guess what, we would go in, and we'd get dinner every Thursday night like that. That's how we did it. It was so easy, and we loved it. That was our thing. Fast forward to today. First of all, there are no Kmarts, and I guess I could go to the local Walmart, but there's not really, anyway, I don't even have those coupon books around here that I'm aware of, like this. But not only would I have to sell for me, I would have to sell for four other mouths. So I'd have to sell five coupon books. Which one was a lot easier? Yeah, obviously, when I was single. That's the point that he simply makes. He's not saying it's bad to be, to be single or bad to be married. He's just saying there are some things that come with the territory, right? There are some things that you have to deal with that if you were single, you don't have to deal with. So this person here, they only had to worry about cons- uh, feeding themselves, not a spouse, and then most likely at some point they would have had children. And so then they, and they, by the way, they think this, depending on which account you read, that this famine lasts up to five years. I mean, a long time that they had to deal with this. And so there is wisdom in weighing the decision to get married or specifically to not get married. Now, a single person could get married and say, well, we'll just walk by faith and God will provide food for us. And that's true too. Paul doesn't say this is a commandment because he can't say what's commanded for you because he doesn't know which gift God gave you. The point is, wisdom says you should evaluate your situation, lean on the indwelling Holy Spirit to help you have the mind of Christ, chapter 2 and verse 16, and the decision that you're about to make. So, and we'll talk about those decisions in point number four. Second, where do you believe, the second thing is not only evaluate your situation, but where do you believe you will find your ultimate satisfaction and worth in this life? Every one of us has to evaluate that. And this goes both ways. Another way to say that is that we have to evaluate where our heart is. Start with me in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they had none. I'll mention that here in just a moment. Verse 30, and those who mourn as those they were not mourning, and those that rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as, as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What Paul does here is he addresses eternal realities over temporary or passing realities. One commentator is really helpful here to help us understand this pocket of verses. He says this quote, a Christian must view marriage, mourning, rejoicing, buying possessions, and, other, and using otherworldly things in proper perspective. They are not inherently sinful. They are important and can be God-glorifying, but they are not ultimately important. They are relatively important. The tensions that we feel now, marriage versus singleness, mourning versus rejoicing, buying possessions versus not buying or having possessions, um, using worldly things versus being preoccupied with worldly things are part of this world but not the next. A Christian must view those activities in their proper place as one strategizes about what to do, especially in the time of a crisis, as was written in this context, Christians must not be so attached to the day-to-day activities of this present world that they fail to live in light of the next. And what is this eternal priority that Paul is teasing out here, that Paul is addressing? That eternal priority is found in verse 35. Verse 35 says, to promote good order, and here it is, to secure your undivided 
devotion to the Lord. And then Paul illustrates that in verses 32 through verse 34, the things that married folks deal with. Paul calls them anxieties in verse 32 and potentially can overtake them and possibly cause their hearts to be divided. Here's the thing. Where do you think you're going to be most satisfied? If you think it's marriage, that's not good thinking. In other words, God has given some the gift of singleness, and it would be wrong for you if you allowed cultural influences to lead you to a place where you had to be married. God's plan for some is singleness. And if you don't follow God, if you think that marriage is going to be the answer to everything in your life, marriage is a horrible God. I mentioned this last week. Marriage is a counterfeit God. If my wife ever thinks that I'm going to be her end-all, be-all, her, her knight in shining armor, she's going to have a terrible life. Terrible. Because I cannot feel the shoes that only God can fill. Yes, enjoy the marriage relationship. Yes, lean on each other for, uh, for certain things in life. Yes, uh, have a, a good conversation partner. Yes, enjoy the physical relationship. Yes, enjoy all of the gifting that comes with it. Enjoy it. But that's just a gift. The giver of the gift is better. So don't elevate the gift above the giver. Jesus is, I like how one guy, Trip Lee, puts it. He says, Jesus is your faithful lover. <laughs> and so the point is here is that we need to evaluate the situation, evaluate your motives, really. It's maybe I should put that second point. Evaluate your situation, and secondly, evaluate your motives. Why? If you think marriage is going to be the end all, then, my friend, you have another thing coming. Marriage can never, marriage is only a counterfeit God. For some, singleness is the best, best path forward in their lives for devotion. You can have just a, a fulfilled life as one who is married. Finally, as Paul says in verse 6, it's not a commandment to be single. He reiterates this a few times throughout the passage. Um, wisdom must be exercised for each individual in each situation as verse 36 through verse 38 repeat. And I won't read those again, but it just basically repeats and illustrates this again. But no matter what decision you believe that God is leading you towards in your life, your, verse 35, your first love must be Jesus. Your first love must be him. Now, let me take a moment and before I, I go to point number four and explain verse 29. Because when we read verse 29, it says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. This is not permission for some of you men to say, well, Paul, God tells me that I can live like you're not, a, not alive, right? So that means all the money is going to go towards a 1956 Chevy truck. That would be a dream. An old truck like that, put my setter in the front seat, my shotgun up in the back, 100-year-old shotgun in the back, and go out bird hunting. Oh, man, that would just be a false god. But it would be fun. It would be fun, though. So am I allowed to do that and not feed my wife and my kids, not pay the bills, and just live as if I was? No, that's not what it means. Paul isn't advocating that a man neglects his wife or even divorces her. The point is, is that you should evaluate your priorities, eternal ones against the temporal ones, and make sure as a married person you haven't made your spouse God. In other words, there are eternal priorities, and that's what we just talked about, and that commentator I quoted helped us to understand there's buying and selling, selling, mourning and rejoicing, marriage, singleness. Keep those in their proper perspective. They're important, but they're relatively important. Last, by way of number four, there's certain questions sometimes that we have or applications that we wonder about that arise when we work through this topic of singleness. And we don't have, there's two general questions. Two, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address the two general questions that, that, that come up with this. There's some time, and it's, it's very nuanced, and I don't have time, and every situation is different. That's what godly counseling and, and such is for. But just as a broad way, these are the two general questions that we can, um, that we can help 
others out with. And maybe it's not you. Maybe it's family or friends that you could serve to help through this. The first question that someone might have is this. Do I, even ha- do I have the gift of singleness? How do I, you know, like, how do I know? Do I have the gift? You know, what does that, that gift look like? Does it have a blue bow, a red bow? I mean, what does it look like, right? And the answer to that question is, I don't know. In verse 7, singleness is called a gift. As I mentioned earlier, these gifts are given and enabled by the Holy Spirit, meaning you are given the gift through the indwelling Holy Spirit in you. And, and no one else, therefore, the reason I can't answer that for you is because I don't know what gift that God, that the Holy Spirit has given you. Now, people that are closest to you, they can maybe help you to discern that, but ultimately, we, no one knows for sure. You do. You know through prayer. You know through maybe even fasting and, and prayer and stuff like that. You know. Because the Holy Spirit of God illuminates your heart to have the mind of Christ, chapter 2, verse 16. Remember? Wisdom and power, they belong to the Lord, the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we looked at in chapter 2 and verse 3. All of this fits together really well. Now, there are some practical ways that you can know how the Spirit is leading. Like, for instance, do you have a strong physical desire to be married? Then you probably don't have the gift of marriage or singleness. If you have a really, it says there in the passage that we read, it's better to marry than to what? Than to burn with passion. If that's you, then you probably don't have the, the gift of singleness. If you don't see and appreciate singleness as a gift, perhaps you don't have been given the gift. If you don't want to be single, perhaps you don't have the gift. One caution here, and I say perhaps because Philippians tells us that it's God that works in us to do in the will of his good pleasure. So we should know how God's leading us. But the caution here is I say that, that if you don't want to be single or you don't appreciate singleness, perhaps you don't have the, the gift. It's quite possible that someone does have the gift, but they are influenced by their friends. They're influenced by their parents and the culture that says that path to satisfaction in life is intimacy. I mean, our TVs the very few billboards that are even around at times, are the social media advertisements on all of our electronic devices just yell and scream that the way to satisfaction in life is intimacy. That's what we're told. And so someone could have the gift of singleness and say, well, look, this is what I hear. All, all these voices are shouting at me all the time. I mean, I got a mom and dad. They, you know, maybe... But I'll just, I'm going to get married then. No, that might not be the right thing for you. I don't know. So perhaps I say, because you could, these influences quite possibly just creating a false narrative for your life. Creating discontentment with what God has for you. You don't have to have intimacy or a family to be fulfilled in your life. Jesus is your faithful lover. Be careful to discern what influences are, are doing to you and how the Holy Spirit is leading. So do you have the gift? I don't know. The other general question is, what's wrong with me that nobody wants to marry me? That's a real question that people have. It's a hard question, too. And the answer to that is, there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with you. You, everyone is beautiful. Specifically and mostly in God's eyes. And you say, well, that's really helpful, you know. The answer to that is there's nothing wrong. Jesus came along in a society that only valued marriage. Remember? I mean, they were put in prison, or not put in prison, they were defined. If they weren't married, the, cult, the, the court of public opinion said, you were nobody. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus comes along and he says, in a, he says you don't need to be married to someone to, be, to have worth and value. You don't need to be marriage, mar- you don't need marriage to be complete. Therefore, Jesus has a very high view of singleness. So Jesus values you just like you are right now. There's nothing wrong with you. Your faithful lover, the King of Kings, the creator of this world, thinks high of you. Doesn't think you're any lesser 
Now, I know that's easier said than done. I know that doesn't answer the, really technically answer the question, what's wrong with you that nobody wants to marry? There is nothing wrong with you. Jesus sees you, wonder, you're wonderful just as you are. But would you remember to have patience and trust? Who was single? Who in the New Testament was single? Jesus. And if you don't believe or you haven't been given the gift, may, may I just encourage you, patience to trust Jesus and his timing. I know it's not easy, but you must be patient and you must trust his timing to provide, a, provide the helper he has for you. You know what? Many of you, not all of you, but many of you, you know, just, just think of people that you know of. Think of people who, I think of Joe Bruni. So excited for him that, that God, he, he, God allowed therefore to be a, 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 a certain period of time before he was able to find his, his, if you don't know Joe or remember Joe, his first wife passed away, was, that died. And now Joe is happily married. God provided for him someone else. Just be patient. There's nothing wrong with you. Trust God's timing. Be patient. And when it's right, the right person will come along and God will make it really clear. Is it easier said than done? Yes. But continue to remember, God values you highly. You're, you're not second rate. And as we close this morning, I want to read this verse to you one more, this one time. Look at the screen with me. It says, to promote good order and to secure your, look at that, undivided devotion to the Lord. No matter what gift you have, I look out here and I see many of you are married. I see some that are single. No matter what gift you have, all of us must have hearts of undivided devotion to our King Jesus. If we view marriage as the end-all, be-all to our, our existence, marriage is going to be, it's a, marriage is a horrible God. Your spouse is a horrible God. And if you're not married and you think marriage is going to be the answer, it's not the answer. Be patient. Accept the gift, maybe, if it, maybe it's your gift. If it's not, then be patient and trust and wait in God's timing in your life. May we all have undivided devotion to the Lord no matter where we are, married or single, because Jesus is the better lover. Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Jesus walks with you no matter what you do. Jesus never gets in bed and rolls the shoulder over and gives you the cold shoulder. Jesus is faithful. He's unconditionally loving us. He's the better lover. And so may we give our undivided devotion to that king, to that lover. Let's pray this morning as we close.